I'm Marianne Kolbasek McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Lisa Bisterfeld, Cybersecurity Program Manager at St. Luke's Health System, and Kirsten Nunez, who is Senior Operations Manager for Emergency Management and Continuity at Intermountain Healthcare. Both are members of a health sector coordinating council task force that has issued new guidance to help the operational staff and executive management of healthcare organizations to respond to and recover from extended enterprise outages due to serious cyber attacks. Each of you have sort of your own area of expertise. Why did the HSCC task group issue this new operational continuity cyber incident checklist? And what does it cover? And who is it directed at? Lisa, do you like to start? Over the last few years, we've seen an increase in cybersecurity activity. Specifically, we're seeing an increase with hospitals and healthcare. And a lot of this is because in healthcare, we rely heavily on our technology to provide patient care and really to maintain a lot of our business operations. This reliance on technology really does make us a vulnerable target to cybersecurity incidents, you know, specifically extortion or ransom-based incidents. And in looking at the tools or the resources that are currently out there, there was a really big gap in helping to bridge a cybersecurity response to the health system response as well. So really in putting out this resource, the objective or the goal was to help bridge or align a cybersecurity incident response to the emergency management fundamentals that are currently you know, put forward in any response at a, at a hospital or a healthcare entity. And really it was meant to be an overall guideline or um, a resource that could be used to help support um, healthcare all the way from a small hospital or a healthcare agency up to a multi-hospital health system, but really an approach of what are those initial things or response actions that you would need to be doing in the first 12 hours of a cybersecurity event. And Kirsten, from your perspective, what does the checklist offer and who is it directed at? I love that question, Marianne, and Lisa answered it so thoroughly. I would really only add that the checklist is really such a helpful guide when you're in the middle of an incident as a leader or as a professional in your industry, and in this case, specifically the healthcare industry. Because these are low-frequency, high-risk events, as Lisa mentioned, risk, it's often that we default into what is most comfortable or into muscle memory, and we may not always consider the aspects of response that are needed in that specific threat or scenario. And so the checklist is intended to help these leaders across a hospital or in a healthcare system think about the items that ought to be considered in response, especially in that first zero to four hours, zero to 12 hours, what do I need to do? What's mission critical? What are the goals or the objectives in this response? So that there's a unified approach to responding to a threat that could disrupt the delivery of health services, again, in a hospital as critical access hospitals, rural hospitals, all the way to trauma centers and large health systems, Marianne. So the intended audience is lead operational and clinical leaders responsible for and accountable to their communities because the doors remain open. Our communities rely on us in the healthcare sector to continue to deliver that care, the care, the right care when they need it and where they need it. And this is intended to help maintain continuity of that service. 
walk us through an example of what the checklist guidance recommends. For instance, when a hospital discovers it is a victim of a ransomware attack, then what? Who should get pulled into the response? Who should take lead roles in terms of dealing with the situation from an IT and security standpoint versus perhaps the potential business operations and patient care impact? Kirsten, do you want to start? I'd be happy to, Marianne. This checklist does align with the tenets of incident command. So the incident command structure is a universal structure at the, and is part of the National Incident Management System or NIMS in, in the conjunction with the National Response Framework or NRF. So we have not reinvented anything in the checklist as far as roles. We have outlined responsibilities. So to walk you through that, step one would be to try to understand to the degree possible in the immediate moment what is the size and scope of the incident and does it warrant activation of an incident command structure? From there, we would uh, lean on those leaders to identify at the beginning of the checklist, there's some thresholds or criteria for activation, uh, the potential for patient care impacts, impacts to member services for systems that might have an insurance branch and impacts to the clinical delivery. And based on the size and scope of that, activating a response framework that includes focusing on operations, both clinical and business operations, on financial components, on the logistics, meaning the space, the staff, the stuff that might be needed, and then planning forward into the future. So those are uh, some of the key pieces or section chiefs of incident command. In addition, the command staff of a liaison with external partners as appropriate in this response. And Lisa will do a great job explaining and articulating the details and the nuances in a cyber or a large scale massive cyber attack or disruption. A marketing and communications expert to serve as a public information officer and an internal information source or sole source of truth. And a medical technical specialist that uh, is really designed to be comprised of legal compliance risk, chief medical officer or a chief nursing officer, or that, that piece, the guidance provides for it to be dovetailed into an IS or intelligence section chief role so that there's a unified approach to the response. It's coordinated. And from there, Marianne, upon initial activation, each of those sections, which are activated or which may be activated, will start to convene, to brief one another, to gather information, to then develop core and shared objectives for the incident response. And Lisa, from your perspective, from the IT security standpoint, how does this checklist sort of pull people in and who takes charge of the overall incident? Really, the aim here is to foster partnership between our clinical and non-clinical leaders on the hospital side and our IHT and cybersecurity professionals within the hospital or health system. This checklist allows an opportunity or a framework for each of those individuals to be collaborating, bringing different pieces of information to the table. Um, for example, helping to understand um, the level of encryption or the size and scope of the cyber attack. But then also on, on the other side, being able to have hospital leaders help communicate the impact that we're seeing at the bedside. And it really allows for that collaboration so that our hospital and IT partners, whether that's cybersecurity or, or IT, are responding together in partnership. They're aligning the response with similar objectives and response processes, but really helping to allow for some of that partnership 
really the intention of putting this together is not only just from a cybersecurity incident, but additionally understanding that the threat or hazard that we're talking about is a widespread cybersecurity hazard, whether that's an extortion event or a ransomware event. However, when we transition that over to what that means for our hospital and healthcare partners, is it means potentially an extended IT downtime. So really bridging that gap between just the cybersecurity incident response, but also the continuity pieces that need to fall into place in order for the health system to support patient care for an extended outage. One of the things that we've observed throughout, throughout the, the country as, as we see different health systems that have experienced this sort of thing is that we are anticipating extended downtimes. Within hospital and healthcare, working in downtime is something that we don't do very well. The majority of our systems have gone to an electronic medical record. You know, we've leveraged technology in order to streamline a lot of the work that we do. And the reality is in a large scale cybersecurity incident or you know, potentially a full network outage, all of those safety measures, all of those streamlined impacts, all of those really helpful pieces that technology enables for us are being removed. And we're having to go back to paper, you know, we're having to operate under downtime for potentially multiple days or weeks. So this checklist really helps bridge the gap between cyber and IT into the hospital arena by not only helping to understand the impact, but also the duration, and then also helping to guide what are those initial steps we need to be taking, knowing that this could be an extended downtime incident as well. So as we know, when there is a cyber incident, whether it's a ransomware attack or something like that, often there are third parties that get pulled into the situation, whether it's forensic experts, law enforcement, cyber insurers. How does that sort of play into the checklist? Does that kind of change the scenario of who's in charge or who gets contacted and makes certain decisions? Or does the guidance kind of play into that at all? And, you know, well, if this happens, then you do this or you do that. Lisa? You bring up a valuable point that these are all notifications or partnerships that need to occur fairly soon. Again, being able to align the cybersecurity and the IT response with the health system response helps to dovetail a lot of these actions and allow for them to be going on in parallel while still allowing for transparency and visibility amongst the entire health system at the leadership level. The checklist we've positioned in a way where we've actually included the addition of another section chief that would be our IT or IS section chief. This is a little different than the traditional hospital incident command system, but by adding this additional role, it allows for a regular report out from IT um, or cybersecurity into the command structure in which you are able to then provide an update on any support you're getting, whether that be from our FBI or any feedback you're getting from other governmental or external partner organizations. Um, additionally, we do have check boxes or, or action items for that section chief to start doing those notifications, engaging those partners. And so we've really tried to highlight those immediate tasks that need to happen, have them compiled into this checklist. And so it acts as a guide 
to really help walk you through those first 12 hours. We've done our best to really try to think of everything you might need to be doing within those first initial hours and really help give you the guideline to just utilize it as a checklist or a roadmap. So you're not having to come up with it during an incident, but you have this pre-populated resource guide that is, is really just a reminder so that you, you don't forget to make a notification or you don't forget to engage a partner. Um, so, so we have called a lot of that out. However, all of these documents or this checklist specifically was provided in an editable version. And so really the recommendation is for each of these hospital or healthcare organizations that leverage this tool to connect with their emergency management and their cybersecurity departments, really refine that um, and make adjustments as they see fit or really make it fit for their organization or their health system. And Kirsten, how about from sort of the business operations, patient care aspect, the checklist sort of gives that flow of, you know, who should be contacted within, you know, the first several hours, et cetera. How much preparation does like the clinical staff need ahead of time so that, you know, if something does go wrong and they don't have access to their electronic health records, they know that they'll be expected to do something else, whether it's patient care, documenting things on paper again, or maybe having less access to certain information, but it being able to work around that. How does that play into this checklist? Or is this something that an organization should be making their clinical staff aware of before something bad happens? The scope of the checklist itself is focused on response, and it behooves any organization that has an electronic health record or medical devices or any reliance on technology within their infrastructure. That could be a pneumatic tube system. That could be any other monitoring equipment on which they rely. There could be vulnerabilities there. And so we encourage every organization or hospital to do their due diligence to understand and mitigate those risks and then prepare for how to respond to provide continuous services and recover from a scenario. This checklist itself is intended to focus, like I said, on the response. And Lisa's mentioned that as well. That first zero to two at 12 hours, what do I do? That may require some just-in-time training or orientation to downtime processes, to paper charting, to how to calculate manual drip rates and other skills that our clinical teams may or may not be receiving in their current education processes where we are so reliant on electronic medical records or health records and medical devices that make our lives easier on a day-to-day basis. The the scope being on response does not change that the group, the, the IRBC working group is in process of developing additional guidance materials for the industry that would address other components, including mitigation and preparedness recommendations and recovery recommendations as well. So to sum that up really, Maryam, there may be just-in-time training needed, and we do recommend that health systems and hospitals provide annual and ongoing training to redundant processes to provide that understanding with to their staff. But the intent of the checklist was, even if you haven't been able to do that, here's a guide and a checklist on what you really ought to be doing um, because it's too late at that point. If you're, if you're impacted by a cyber attack or ransomware or, or a large disruption, it's too late to train at that point, but you'll need a guide to get you through it. And finally, any situations that each of you have encountered 
during your careers that helped in the development of the guidance? Any emerging lessons that you've learned that could be helpful to others in dealing with either extended cyber outages or related incidents? Kirsten. This experience cemented for me the importance and the criticality of strong relationships across sectors or across industries, strong relationships between the clinical side, the business side, and the technology side. When we look at incident management as far as life safety, incident stabilization, and preservation of property, and in the healthcare sector, really trying to reduce impact to life or uh, impact to the operations because again, people need care in the right place at the right time and in the right fashion. It's important that everyone's working from the same sheet of music. So it, it cemented that and solidified that for me and really appreciate the cross-sector collaboration in recognizing a need given the current um, geopolitical tensions that exist and coming together, banding together and providing that on a, on a broad scale uh, that really is scalable from a critical access hospital who may not have resources to do this on their own to a large system who may not have seen the opportunity to do this on their own. So just really the teaming, the collaboration and cross-functional expertise, I think made this a document worth sharing. And how about for you, Lisa? One of the things that really comes to mind is how truly reliant we have become on technology in the healthcare sector. Even within my own organization, when I'm having conversations with my clinical and non-clinical leaders, it's always surprising to them to really hear and understand everything that is connected or dependent on our network. In some cases, that could be your HVAC system, it could be your telephony system, you know, all of our email is connected to our network. Um, in addition to a lot of the safeguards that we have in place to help deliver the care that we have day to day, you know, one that comes to mind is we rely really heavily on prepositioned safeguards for our medication management. And when we start having those conversations on what our daily operations would look like isolated from the network or without this technology, it's always really surprising and, and relatively uncomfortable for us in healthcare to think about. Kind of jumping off from that is it really highlights the importance of pre-planning, but also highlights the importance of tools such as this checklist. Again, it's not always front of mind, but when it does happen, um, or should it ever happen, being able to have a checklist that is pre-identified, that really helps guide you through those initial actions will be invaluable. And so I think just as we become, you know, as we are reliant on technology, as we continue to see cybersecurity, especially in the healthcare kind of continue to rise or, or change, having these tools ready and available and exercising to them is really the key to ensure that we are as prepared as possible and really help to lessen the impact should we ever experience a cybersecurity event of this kind. Well, thank you very much, Lisa and Kirsten. I've been speaking to Lisa Visterfeld and Kirsten Nunez. I'm Marianne Kobasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.